Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In just a moment, biographies and sound. But first... Now, there's a melody you'll recognize, opus number one in the inimitable Dorsey style. And there'll be lots more of your favorite tunes, old and new, on NBC Bandstand all this week. The Dorsey Brothers will appear in person, and you'll also enjoy some of the sweetest music this side of heaven. By Guy Lombardo and the Royal Canadian. Wayne King and Freddie Martin come along, too, together with bright personalities like Bert Parks and Johnny Mercer. It's wonderful live music weekday mornings with NBC Bandstand. Now, stay tuned for Biographies and Sound... On NBC. There he is, strutting along the edge of an excavation, dwarfed beneath an earth-moving machine, but still a figure of majesty. See the great tufts of white hair high at the temples. The heavy-jowled, lined face. He wears a flowing tie and cape, and if he weren't so at home among the bulldozers and the cement mixers, you'd guess he was a composer or painter. But you know he's an architect. And you won't have to go far to hear him called the greatest architect in the world. The National Broadcasting Company invites you to meet Frank Lloyd Wright, another in the transcribed series of Biographies in Sound. Our narrator is NBC Washington correspondent Morgan Beatty. Frank Lloyd Wright, the genius with a T-square, has been called the pace-setter of modern-day architecture, the great uncompromiser whose buildings may startle or delight, but always are true to his beliefs. We have viewed this man's work. Three generations of us have, and some of us have applauded and marveled. And others of us have wrung our hands and accused him of creating monstrosities. Every time he has built a building, we, every man, have had something to say about it. When he built the Larkin building in Buffalo, we called it an eyesore, a space waster. The Imperial Hotel we called just plain ugly. Some of his churches we called unchristian. And some of his homes we said we wouldn't live in them for free. Not only what he has done on his master's drawing board, but nearly everything he has done has upset us, divided us, made us like him more or like him less. Like the hurricane's eye, this grandfatherly man of principle and determination has been the center of an almost endless stream of controversy. It's the way of genius, you say. Well, maybe so. But few men of genius had quite the built-in furor of Frank Lloyd Wright. For instance, there was, for lack of a better title, the Milwaukee caper. 
The director emeritus of the Leighton School of Art, Miss Charlotte Partridge, remembers that turbulent affair in 1930. With uh, great enthusiasm, I asked the Wisconsin chapter of the American Institute of Architects to co-sponsor this exhibition and lecture with the Leighton Art Gallery. And also, frankly, to help pay the bills, because we had no money for it. <laughs> Polite refusals interspersed with much less polite remarks, surprised and shocked me. Why, one day I was stopped in the middle of the street by a gentleman architect who literally shook a finger in my face. Young woman, don't you know what you are doing? You are ignorant, very ignorant. But we must have his exhibition. Milwaukee, I thought, needed it. And have it, we would. Then came his lecture, The New Architecture, and What Mishaps. First, electricity went off the building, and the building was in darkness for two or three hours. Then a phone call. Don't worry, Miss Parkridge, but Mr. Wright has just been arrested because of some debt over money due. Extras on the street. Wright arrested. Atmosphere tense, telephones busy. It was very hectic. But with his usual ability to rise above situations and friends at court, he was released just in time for my small dinner. Next morning, just after I reached my office, in walked Mr. Wright, saying, Will you please pay me now? Why, don't you trust me? I was a little bit indignant. Yes, you, but not the others. Not ten minutes after he left with his check, came two policemen to garnish his payment. My glee at saying to them that we owed him no money was much greater than their amazement. However, he was not allowed to move his exhibition out of the gallery uh, for several weeks until after the legal matters had been settled and in his favor. The friends of Frank Lloyd Wright occasionally had the last laugh, but as you can see, it has often been touch and go. One friend Mr. Wright discovered a dozen years after the Milwaukee incident was a Midwest clergyman who wanted to build the Church of the Future. A witness to what happened... Walter Bublitz of Kansas City, one of the lay leaders of the Community Christian Church. Our pastor was that great minister, Dr. Burris A. Jenkins, now deceased, the foremost liberal minister of his day, and his liberal teachings are well accepted as standards today. Mr. Wright was the foremost liberal-thinking architect of his time, and it was quite natural that when two such geniuses met, they would fall in love with each other. They did. Mr. Wright prepared final plans and bids were asked from local contractors. All of them refused to bid because they said they couldn't understand the plan and the then revolutionary type of construction. City authorities said the design was so unusual and different in principle from recommendations in the building code that they didn't see how they could grant a permit. Mr. Wright was asked to explain certain theories and principles in his design, but Mr. Wright refused and said the authorities should be educated enough to figure them out and disprove them if they could. If not, issue the permit. The code committee hesitated in granting the permit because the auditorium was designed to seat 1,200 persons and they were solicitous of the welfare of those persons in such a fantastic type of building. Mr. Wright then urged the committee to proceed with construction without a permit and said he did not think the authorities would chance a court test that would prove the building code inadequate for modern needs. 
no building permit was ever issued. You're getting the idea. This man Wright is, well, an individualist. He scorns the commonplace, the red tape, the details, the incompetent. He stays away from the crowd, ahead of it, usually. And when the crowd is composed of other architects, he usually stays far away. The architecture of today, the so-called modern architecture, says Mr. Wright, is servile, insignificant refuge, or puerile nostalgia. This is hardly the kind of talk to draw cheers from the American Institute of Architects, a group composed of practically all the leading T-square and triangle men, with the exception, that is, of Frank Lloyd Wright. Things have never been too harmonious between Mr. Wright and the AIA, the body professional, the fraternity of the non-Wright practitioners. Some of the AIA men have had unkind words to say about the individualist from the prairie. And he, not infrequently, has loosed a blast or two in their direction. In 1949, there was a flourish-filled burying of the hatchet, the AIA awarding its gold medal to Mr. Wright. The other day, we asked for some of the details from the man who then was president of the AIA, Douglas Orr. We also asked Mr. Wright himself for a few comments. We've taken the liberty of putting some of the two gentlemen's thoughts side by side. Well, the AIA, I have never joined because of they know why. Mr. Wright has always been a lone wolf. He was not one given to joining associations, and he had some disagreement. When they gave me the gold medal at Houston, I told them frankly why. Feeling that the architectural profession is all that's the matter with architecture, why should I join them? The proposal to award the gold medal to Mr. Wright naturally brought uh, differences of opinion within the profession as to the form of architecture which Mr. Wright advocated and as to <clears throat> his being at times critical of the procedures of the Institute. Oh, I would do anything I'd ask me for except join them to make a harbor of refuge for the incompetent. Mr. Wright considered the Institute uh, a very conservative body. Because I believe less and less in professionalism as I see it practiced. I think it's a kind of refined gangsterism. So, as Henry Lou said in astonishment, what, he said, are you an old amateur? And I said, yes, Mr. Luce, I am the oldest. And that's the story of the AIA. That, indeed, is the story of the AIA. And if the sound of Mr. Wright's voice appeals to you, if the measured needling of his words amuses you, if the outspoken sarcasm intrigues you, uh, stand by. There's more to come. There's hardly a topic on which this man doesn't speak out, be it politics or art or philosophy. One of his favorite topics is the city. And from Los Angeles to New York, easily offended people snarl when they hear the name of Frank Lloyd Wright, for he doesn't appreciate their hometown. Los Angeles, he has said, is the great American commonplace. Miamians, he spoke out, are living in houses pigs would be ashamed to live in. Pittsburgh, it would be cheaper, he guessed, to destroy it. But for New York, Mr. Wright seems to reserve a special contempt, probably because it's our biggest city and thus contains the most of the worst. Frank Lloyd Wright thinks cities are all washed up. Originally,